As we uh, settle in and get ready to spend some time in the Word here, I encourage you to join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Today our focus will be on some of the words in verse number 28 of 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Still studying what is in God's toolbox, the things that He uses. So we're going to add to what we have learned so far. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 26 and read my way all the way through verse 31. And then we'll have a word of prayer together. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, so that he might nullify the things that are, so that no man can boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Our gracious Savior, as we begin our time in the Word, especially at this moment, thank you for what you have done. We are who we are because of you, what you have done. And as we focus again on this passage, teach our hearts, Lord, that it might also change the way we do what we do. Our desire is to please you and to live these lives to your honor and glory. And and we've got some lessons to learn along the way and we ask for your help today. Thank you for your patience and your goodness toward us, your mercy, and the very fact that you are at work even now, changing us, making us what we ought to be. So we submit ourselves to your great work today and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at bass things today, and that's the bass section of the choir over here. Uh, Bass, B-A-S-E, is the way we spell this word in some translations. Verse number 28, it's our third item mentioned here, that God has chosen. God chooses for himself particular tools to use to show how great he is. Not to show how great the tool is, but to show how great he is. And every single item on this list, foolish things, we've talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Weak things, we've talked about that as well. Base things is today, and then despised things, and even things that are not. are on the calendar ahead of us yet. But none of these items that we mention here are the things that the world has jumped up and down and said, we want to use a tool like that. But they are the tools that God uses. And so we're going to study base things today. And to do that, I want to share with you a very familiar story of a man who was chosen because of his appearance. He was a man of noble birth. His father was wealthy. And his father had many servants. He was well known among the people of the land, and his family name was significant. He was a chosen man. 
chosen man. Chosen to be the first king of Israel. What's his name? His name is Saul. Before I share a bit of his story, I want to explain to you something rather interesting here in verse number 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Toward the end of that verse, he said, There were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. You see that word noble or a word like that you might have in the translation you look at today? It's a great, it's an interesting Greek word, and I'm only going to show it to you because it has great value later too. Eugenist is the word. You means good. E-U is the way we spell that. You means good. And genes, G-E-N-E-S. What's that sound like to you? Good genes. That's the word. Good Jeans. We're not talking about Levi's, are we? We're talking about family. We're talking about uh, ancestors. We speak of somebody with good genes. Uh, we speak of their family tree, their family traits on that tree. Uh, that makes them significant. Good genes. They're, they're sometimes figured to be more significant than other people at times. Um, it may be that they're a family of intelligence. I mean, would we really complain if our last name was Einstein? People would assume a little bit of you, wouldn't they? If that was your last name. Um, years ago, it used to be this. If your last name was Rockefeller or Carnegie, what did the people think that you had? <laughs> Money. Today, the, the younger generation says, well, I don't know those names, but uh, if you say Bill Gates, maybe we can get an idea of family name and wealth and things of that nature. And, and yeah, we understand that. What if, what if you folks, mostly you would know this, older folks, what if your last name was Kennedy? There's power in that name, isn't there? Whether you, you agree or not with what they've done with that power, there's power in such a name. History has shown things like that. We, we see, we, we associate people and names with certain traits, don't we? And those, if they were something significant, then we don't mind wearing the same last name. We don't mind having those genes, do we? If that's somebody of great significance, because, well, that's to our advantage, being from the tribe of Benjamin at one time was a sign of good genes. Something people took pride in. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. At least initially it was that way. It was a family known for their great courage. A tribe of warriors with exceptional skill. They were known as left-handed men. With such skill, with a slingshot, that they could shoot the eye out of a fly a hundred yards away. Now, maybe I exaggerate. The Bible said they could aim at a hair and not miss it. Literally said that. That's pretty skillful, isn't it? They were known for that. But there's a story in the book of Judges, as, as 
you might have traveled through there on times past and read, and got to the end of that book and said, boy, what a depressing way to end a book. There's a terrible civil war. It includes the tribe of Benjamin. And uh, as it turns out, that tribe took an incredible hit. Um, nearly every individual in that tribe was exterminated in this battle. It took place over several days, and at times it looked like Benjamin was actually going to defeat the entire Israelite army. But things started to turn after a couple of days, and before it was done, 18,000 of their warriors were dead. The Israelites plowed into their towns and villages, killing every single person they found, killing every animal they located, and burning the cities to the ground. 600 men got away. 600 men, hiding as it were up in the rocks, perhaps even in caves. The rest of the Israelites stood around and vowed, those men will never get any of our daughters for husbands. In a sense, they exterminated the tribe. And they got a wind of that, and they thought it through, and they regretted it. It wasn't long before they said, you know, that's one of our tribes. We're going to be called the 11 tribes of Israel from this day on because of what we have just done. And of course, since they made a vow, they couldn't exactly go against breaking that. So they came up with another way for these men to get wives so that the tribe can replenish itself. And I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story. Say rats. Well, I'll just say this. That from that day on, the name Benjamin had a different name to it. They didn't look so highly upon it any longer. There was one that was kind of smeared a little bit. So, what do you do if you're a, a descendant of the Benjamites now? You're growing up and you're in this group. And, and, and so you start to coat it over with some artificial pride. Sure, he's a Benjamite, but now look at him uh, externally. Look at this. This is a real man all of a sudden. This is somebody that you know is impressive in society. His appearance is significant. Erase all the rest, and now just look at the outward shell. Who is that man? Who is that man that impresses us so greatly? Travel with me to First Samuel chapter 9, and let me introduce you to Saul here this morning. 1 Samuel chapter number 9. Way back in that Old Testament. Starts this way in verse number 1 and 2. 1 Samuel 9. Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zerur, the son of Berkrath, the son of Aphia, the son of a Benjamite, a mighty man of valor. He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man. And there was not a man, not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people. Not only did he have the advantages of the appearance, but he had the advantages of height to show it off. He couldn't get lost in a crowd. Significant individual. Notice, when it talks about valor, when it talks about name and all these other things, that's all in verse number one. Verse number two, it talks about Saul. 
he was a, a man of good genes, but he was only known for his appearance. In chapter 10, if you turn the page, chapter 10, it was that uh, God had told Samuel that this was the man that you are to anoint as a king of Israel. They asked for a king, and I'm going to give them a king after their own desire, and Saul was a man that was selected for it. And so there's quite a bit of story in between these two verses. But in verse 17 of chapter 10, Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the sons of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought Israel up, up from Egypt, I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the power of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But you have today rejected your God, who delivers you from all your calamities and your distresses. You, yet you have said, no, but we will set a king over us. Now therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. And he brought the tribe of Benjamin by near, all by its families. And the Matrite family was taken. And Saul the son of Kish was taken. But when they looked for him, they could not, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired further of the Lord, Has a man come here yet? And the Lord says, Behold, he's hiding himself by the baggage. That's not a very complimentary thing, by the way. They're looking for this man and they can't find him. The Lord says, he's hiding over there in the luggage. So they ran and they took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Samuel said to the people, do you see him who the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among all the people. So the people shouted and said, long live the king. They were basing their whole statement on what they just saw. That's interesting word, saw. They saw Saul, right? They see him and they say, that's our king. What an examination they gave him. What a testing. He stood taller than the rest. Let's make him king. Appearance. Saul's kingdom was not ruled well. You read the next handful of chapters later today, not now. You will see he made a lot of mistakes. And that's the nice way to put it. He disobeyed Samuel. He disobeyed the Lord often. And the day came when he needed to be replaced. The Lord rejected him. And Samuel had some uh, unpleasant business to take care of. But he had to follow the Lord's instruction. And he had to find a king that the Lord has selected. And following the Lord's directions in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, we have Samuel inspecting a family of the of the tribe of Judah. He was from the town of Bethlehem, and his name was Jesse. And all of Jesse's sons had come before Samuel and and Samuel is inspecting them and determining whether or not this is the one the Lord would call. And it says in verse 6, When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Notice he looked at him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature. 
because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? Heart. Wow. If you read through the rest of the story, enter David, a little shepherd boy, insignificant shepherd boy, from the tribe that really was not significant, from a family that really wasn't significant, in case you're wondering if I'm, if I'm just downplaying Judah or not, or Bethlehem or not, later in the book of Micah it's going to be said, Bethlehem is too little to be numbered among the clans of Judah. Too little. Insignificant little city. Insignificant little people. Not noble. Not noble. Now, put these two together. Noble Saul and insignificant David. Bring them together in one project. I call it a giant of a job. You want to guess? Project Goliath. David, of course, offered to fight the giant. True? Sure. He's going in to fight this battle. Saul had a little bit of advice for him. An answer to help David fight this giant. Surely, if you were properly equipped, you can win this battle. Matter of fact, David, I have this name brand armor I want you to wear. A special edition, because it's mine. And you can wear this armor. And I'm going to dress you up on the outside and send you out into battle against that giant. Impressive enough to fight any giant, right? You know what David did. He refused the armor, didn't he? He wasn't going to fight in that at, at all. You, you see a major difference between the two. Because wearing the best brands, if you will, wearing the armor, wearing whatever the outward thing might be, doesn't always make you perform better. What you wear on the outside doesn't make you a better person, does it? No, I don't know. What does our society say to that? doesn't matter what you wear on the outside. When we look back at our Corinthian passage, if I leave even that story just hanging right where it is right now, our Corinthian passage, what do we notice about verse 26 again? Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. God does use noble men. Men with good genes, yes, God uses them sometimes, but he doesn't use many. There's a good reason for that. As we have noticed with the other two things, those who have uh, wisdom and those who have might, they have a similar trait with those who are noble. They tend to think a little high of themselves because of what they have. We call it a pride problem. And it's easy enough. I mean, just take inventory. Just look at your family stock and figure that you're the exact tool that God would want in His toolbox. After all, 
God could use their power, their influence in society, their, their wealth. I mean, wouldn't that help God out so much if we offered Him our wealth, if we offered Him our prestige, if we offered Him our popularity? We can surely help His cause. We're a good pick because we're noble. Hmm. Funny thing that God says about that. really goes back to those He has chosen to wear His name. Back in John chapter 1, we have an interesting set of verses. And I just want you to see it. Just so you know that it's, it's right there in a passage you know well. John 1 verse 12 says this. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. We select that verse precisely. Specifically when we talk about our salvation. Right? We believe in Jesus Christ. We're given the the right to wear the name child of God. What a privilege that is. We're given that right. As many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those that believe on his name. Keep going with the verse. Verse 13. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Down to the very essence and the simplicity of our salvation. Whose name saved you? Your family name? Your own name? No. The name of Jesus. Believed in His name, right? Not noble births, not great skills, not your works, not your history, not your nobility. Leave that all at the door. For Jesus is the only door, right? The only entrance into salvation is through Him. There is no other name, Scripture says. No other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We cannot walk into his throne room and say, because of my nobility, because of my name, because of my genes, I must be acceptable to you. It's not based on blood. Doesn't he say that in verse 13? We're not born of blood. You could have the most significant, the most popular, the most thorough, the most exact... uh, theologian as a father or a grandfather and it doesn't save your soul. Only Jesus can. Now, if that's the way God works with salvation, do you think all of a sudden He's going to change His plan because He's looking for tools to use? Isn't He consistent? And if He's going to choose tools... Doesn't he, he, he speak well when he says, I choose the base things of this world? He said, well, what, what exactly is a base thing? Well, if you're plowing through uh, your translation and you see the, maybe it's the English Standard Version, you say, uh, the things that are low. If you work with an NIV, it says lowly things. If you work with an Amplified Version, He speaks of the low-born and insignificant. 
quite a number of the other translations, New American, King James, New King James, they use that word base. It's a Greek word. It takes the word genes and puts the letter A in front of it, which is the Greek way of negating the word. No genes. It's the exact opposite of noble. Good genes? No genes. That's base. No genes. As far as the world is concerned, you have no name if you're a base. It's as if you weren't even born. They don't even consider you as significant at all. No names. What's a tool God likes to reach into his box and reach for when he has something to do? Tools with no names. Interesting. Because we live in a world that highlights names, especially on the handle of a tool. That's a great advantage, isn't it? To have a name there. I have two screwdrivers. You're going to think that's all I ever carry in my box. Two screwdrivers. You probably recognize them. I mean, you might even recognize the shape of that and the color of that. And you would know what company made this, wouldn't you? Wild guess. The Craftsman. Look at that. Okay, that's a significant thing. Now, this one has something written on it. I've got to figure out what it says. Regal. <laughs> it's starting to fade a little bit, too. It says Regal. And the L's almost gone. Riga. And then it has its size on the other side. Two significant tools. All right? Now, I've learned a, a kind of neat lesson about this Craftsman screwdriver. This is my second one, by the way. The first one I have uh, uh, received years and years ago. Um, my dog got a hold of it. Just chewed the handle to pieces. You ever like working with a tool that something has chewed it all up and there's just a stub left and it's even so rough you can hardly even want to touch it? That, that was my screwdriver. But I remembered something, and I, I suppose it's still true today, but I remember that Sears had a guarantee, a lifetime guarantee on their Craftsman hand tools. And their guarantee said that they will replace them without question. And I was glad for that. Because I didn't want to talk about how it came into that shape. I just wanted to replace it. So I walked into the Sears store just to test it, and I said, you replace these? And it was, it was a mess. I mean, it was a real mess. And they said, sure. They handed me this one. I said, wow. That's pretty neat. That's a guarantee I like. They didn't ask me what my dog did to it. Now, that's not the same dog I have now. All right? The dog I have now won't even think about chewing. He doesn't think about anything. But that's a different story. <laughs> but... But you walk with this tool and you say, okay, lifetime guarantee, take it in. Because of its name, you can get the replacement. Now, all of you are heading to Sears this week, aren't you? All your broken little tools. But I can guarantee you something about this tool, too. I could walk into the same Sears store and say, will you trade this for another one? And they would say, no. I can guarantee that. That they won't replace this with the name brand. Because this one wears a name. This one does not. 
That's the way our world honors things. Matter of fact, this is the way they work it. They say, because this one has a name, I will replace it with something that has a name too. It has to wear the same name. And that's exactly what they were doing in Saul's case. They chose him for his appearance, right? And then when Samuel had to go select another one, first thing he did was use his eyes. He said, that one looks the same. Let's pick that tool. And he looked at Eliab and said, that's And God said, "Uh, I don't look at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. I look at the heart. Man of great appearances, but very messed up. Time to replace him? Find another just like him. God says, don't look on the outside of the tool. Let me show you what I could do with a tool that has no name. And we know the rest of the story, don't we? You see, there's a couple of lessons we could learn that's real simple from this. If you have a tool that has no name, as God chooses so often, that tool is not preconditioned to boast in itself. It's not thinking, I'm here because of my name. It's not preconditioned that way. And it won't lead to boasting. That tool also is not reaching back and finding its ability for service based on something it contributes. Maybe we have that problem once in a while too. We realize, you know, I, I'm, I'm used by the Lord because of my great skill, right? Do we ever say that honestly? It's because of my great ability to communicate. It's my personality that the Lord uses. You start the list. How many times have we reached back for something like that? To say that's why we contribute in God's work is because of what we brought to it. A tool with no name doesn't have that, that ability. He can't pull back on something in his past and say, well, I'm here because of what I contribute Now, when it all comes down to it, this tool also finds its success, not in its name, but in the name of the one who uses it. And I think we're starting to touch on the heart of it right there, aren't we? A tool is never called to be someone, but simply to be useful. God can work with no one, can't he? And he does all the time. God works with no ones. That's something that brings him glory. What God uses is a tool that has a heart like his. What was his comment about David? A man after my own heart. What kind of heart do we have? Well, I know we put on the outward, outward look because we gather together and here we are and we, we come with all that we are, right? God's looking at the heart. What kind of heart do we have in there? God chooses base things, doesn't he? Base things so that no man can boast, the verse says. I want to ask just two simple questions and let you think this through. Are you a noble 
believer. He does you some, doesn't he? Do you have advantages in family name? Do you have advantages in wealth? Do you have advantages in intelligence? Do you have advantages by way of certificates on your wall? God can and will still use you. But he wants you. Not the certificates. Not the wealth. Not the intelligence. Not the family. He wants you. Are you a no-name believer? An everyday generic Christian? We used to know what the generics were in the store. They were yellow in boxes, yellow in packages. We knew the generics. We could spot them. Remember those days? Now you buy something and you don't know, is that name brand or not? I've never heard of that name before. Maybe we're just generic Christians. Do we sometimes think that we really need something else if we're really going to serve Him? That we've got to find something else that would, that would help in serving Him? I want you to take heart today. Take heart in this fact. God can and will use you. Even with no name. God uses a tool like that, doesn't He? He uses a tool like that. What He calls for you is not that you do something to impress Him with your name, but something you do with your heart. Is it right? Is it the right heart? Is there a willingness in being used? Are we real quick to give Him the glory when He uses us? That's the tool He's looking for. The tool, it may have no name before the world around us, but it's the one that God himself chooses for himself to do his work. You want to be a tool? You want to be found useful? Don't ever, ever underestimate what God can do with a nameless tool. Heavenly Father, you know everyone in this room this morning. You know where we stand with you whether or not we've ever even received the name of Jesus Christ as our Savior. Lord, since you know those things, we start right there. If there might be one among us who has never, never received the name of Jesus, never placed their faith in Him, may this be that moment when they realize how much they need a Savior. You have not asked us to bring our credentials, Lord. You just asked us to come, to receive, to believe. And I pray, Lord, that if there might be one among us today who's been thinking that they needed to impress you first, show them that they can just walk into your presence now and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And Lord, you're not asking anything else of us as far as credentials either. Those of us who know you so well or have spent many years in your family, you're not required of us to build up our our resumes that we might be used by you. You just simply said, be willing. Have a heart that's ready. I will use you. And we take courage in that today, Lord. We we are so thankful for that. For you will reach down in the box and choose us to your honor and to your glory. And we want to be chosen. Thank you, Lord, 
that you would look at us and use us in your great work. What a privilege it is to belong to you. What a joy it is to be used by you. To your glory, may we always be looking. May we always be desiring that it's your name that gets the praise. It's your name that people see. And we ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen.